You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is the Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Tuesday, May 4th. Yes, the big day when we all celebrate Star Wars and how Disney is able to use the power of the Force to keep us spending money on this franchise, even though it totally lost the plot, like what, three movies ago? Like, is Kylo Ren the new Darth Vader? Is, is Luke Skywalker still alive? And is Baby Yoda really a baby? Because if he's actually a middle-aged Yoda, I mean, the Mandalorian suddenly seems real creepy. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Joe Biden takes the weirdest photo of all time. We dive into the gritty origin story of Ted Cruz, and Will Smith is getting jiggly with it. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. All right, folks, I know you already know this, but I'm gonna say it. There is a lot of not so great news that is out these days. You know, COVID cases are surging in India and in South America. The United States is struggling to achieve herd immunity. Benefer is back in the news. And now Bill and Melinda Gates are getting a divorce, which is devastating to me. I mean, they were married for 27 years. Like I found myself going, if the Gates can't make it work, then marriage is over, people. And what's interesting about this story is that Melinda was the one who filed for divorce. And I don't know the why, I don't know the how. All I do know is, if ever there was a thing that proved Bill Gates doesn't control minds, I mean, this is it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every single one of us was shocked the same way. You know, like when Kim and Kanye happened, people were like, ah, you know, celebrities, Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie, people were like, I guess. But here, it was almost like these were our parents. Everyone was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe they're getting divorced. Like everyone, people in South Africa were texting me. People in America were texting me. I'm sure even malaria itself was like, wow. I mean, the way they were coming after me together, I thought those two would never end. Whew. And you know what I'm worried about now? Is first of all, whether they're gonna get their privacy and also how either of them is ever going to be able to date again. Because when you're worth that much money, it's hard to know if people are just using you for the money. Every single dinner that they go out on could suddenly turn into an episode of Shark Tank. Oh no, Melinda, I dropped my napkin. So it's a good thing I'm wearing one. Introducing napkin shirt. So look, man, I'll be honest. With all of this going on, I was in a bad mood when I woke up this morning. But then I remembered that no matter what else is going on in the world, there's always a bright side that you can turn to. So let's do that with another edition of A Ray of Sunshine. All right, let's kick things off with the coronavirus vaccine. The greatest scientific achievement since the development of that secret face cream that Paul Rudd uses to stay young. What is he using? And thankfully, soon even more Americans will be able to get their hands on this miracle vaccine. The FDA could expand COVID vaccines for 12 to 15 year olds as early as this week. Health experts say any day now, the agency is expected to authorize Pfizer's drug for that younger age group. The decision would allow middle school students and all high school students to get the shots. Pfizer says clinical trials showed the vaccine was, get this, 100% effective for 12 to 15 year olds that have that good immunity. If authorized, that age group may start receiving the Pfizer vaccine later this month. What great news. 
This is gonna be a huge step forward for kids who are sick of Zoom class and want to get back to being sick of actual class. And let's be honest, this can't come soon enough, man. I mean, it is so important for the young population to get re-engaged in society. And it's so important for my self-confidence to have five hours in the day when I'm not getting my ass handed to me by some nine-year-old on Warzone. Go to school, Jimmy, and stop camping me, you ass! But the important thing is that this vaccine will allow teenagers to go back to doing normal teenager stuff again. You know, like going to school, seeing their friends, getting Venmoed by Matt Gates. you know, the teenager life. Our next ray of sunshine comes to us from the world of politics. Yesterday, President Biden took a break from looking for a White House cat for his dog Major to rip apart and went down to Georgia, where he and the First Lady met up with their oldest and most adorable predecessors. We wanna show you this photo from the Carter Center. This was the visit of President Biden uh, and Dr. Jill Biden with Jimmy and Rosalind Carter in Georgia last week. The former president is 96, the first lady 93, and Brianna, they're gonna celebrate their 75th wedding anniversary in July. That's amazing, 75 years. It's great to see this photo. <laughs> okay, guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm really happy to see these people all together and smiling and everything. It's just, what the f is going on in this photo? Like, why do the Bidens look five times bigger than the Carters? Is there some dollhouse filter that I didn't know about? Because I've been staring at this thing the whole day and I still can't figure out what's going on. I can't figure out if the Bidens had a late growth spurt or if they're playing with Jimmy Carter action figures or maybe both at the same time. Like, like what were the photographer's instructions here? All right, guys, we're gonna do a normal one and then we're gonna do a goofy one and then we're gonna do one where it looks like you're from two separate dimensions, yeah? We good? Honestly, this is the weirdest picture of a president since, well, any picture of Donald Trump. But I'm not hating, please don't get me wrong. I think it is great to see presidents of different generations coming together to make me think that I'm on shrooms. But let's move on now from the president to the fresh prince, who's apparently having size issues of his own. Quarantine and the pandemic put many 2020 health goals on pause and Will Smith, was not immune either. The Fresh Prince made headlines after posting this shirtless photo on Instagram, along with the caption, quote, I'm gonna be real with y'all, I am in the worst shape of my life. <laughs> the actor was quickly praised for his brutal honesty by fans and fellow celebrities. Okay, you know what? I was pissed off at COVID before, but now it has gone too far. You made Will Smith have slightly less abs? Damn you, COVID! But at the same time, this is refreshing to see. Because let's be honest, man, so many people lie on social media about how their bodies actually look. And we all know who I'm referring to, right? The ones who Photoshop everything and cause other people to feel like their bodies don't measure up. I mean, do I need to say their name? Okay, fine. I'm calling you out, jacked kangaroo. You gave me dysmorphia. Oh, and by the way, I don't care what Will Smith says, this is not him at his worst. We've seen him at his worst. To be honest, Will Smith doesn't even look that bad. I bet you if he sets aside just 10 minutes a day doing the Carlton, he'll be back in shape before the summer. Oh, and by the way, Will Smith, thanks for making me and tons of other people feel like shit. He's like, this is the worst my body. That's the best body some of us will ever have. But let's move on to another cool, fun internet story. Last year, when the pandemic started, a guy named Josh sent a Facebook message to a bunch of other guys named Josh challenging them all into a fight in one year's time. And unlike most of us who can't even keep plans we made earlier in the day, these guys actually followed through on it. 
What's in a name? Well, just ask Josh or ask all of them who gathered in Lincoln, Nebraska for a pool noodle brawl. Three, two, one, two. A guy named Josh created a Josh fight at the start of the pandemic and then challenged all Joshes to a duel. The event got the attention of Joshes from all over the nation, but the winner of the friendly fight was the smallest Josh of them all. Four-year-old Josh was honored with a paper crown and bragging rights. Aww, congrats to little Josh for winning that Josh fight. And condolences to the family of Josh Groban, who that child beat into a coma. No, but seriously, it is, it's really cool to see Joshes from all around the country coming together to have some harmless fun. You know, usually when that many Joshes are in the same place, the only thing that comes out of it is what, a hedge fund? And you know, that's one of the cool things about the internet is that it lets these kind of events happen organically, you know, for no reason at all. Well, I mean, it's either that, or maybe this was actually a giant undercover operation to capture Josh Duggar. Either way, it worked. And you know, after watching this, I realized that we need to crown a champion for every name. Because too often I meet someone, like say, my neighbor Steve, and I think to myself, is this the best Steve I could be talking to? I mean, I have limited time in my life. Am I gonna spend it on some subpar Steve? Yeah, I'm talking about you again. Yeah, you wanna make noise at night, you think I'm not gonna talk about you on my show? The only name you couldn't try this with is Karen. Yeah, don't ever try create a Karen fight. A Karen fight will be much less fun. All right, is everybody ready? All right, let's do this. Three, two, one, go. Hello, police. I'm in a field. Come help. 911, come quickly. Someone is calling the cops on me. Everyone is on their phone and I'm scared. You get down here right now or I'm gonna sue the city. And finally, there's a lot of things that we waste in our everyday lives. We waste food. We waste brain cells. We waste time DMing T-Pain when he's never gonna read it. But at least now, we can start wasting a little less toothpaste. And a toothpaste breakthrough. Uh, new this morning, Colgate is partnering with a Boston-based company on a coating that's designed to get every last drop of toothpaste out of the tube. Liquid Glide helped develop this slippery coating technology. Right now, it's only found inside Colgate's Elixir toothpaste. According to Liquid Glide, up to 13% of toothpaste is wasted in every tube. Now this, this is amazing. What a terrific idea that I'm sure won't give us cancer by accident. And I'm glad that toothpaste isn't going to waste anymore. I mean, not that it's gonna make a difference for me, because let me tell you something. When you grow up poor, you are used to using every last damn drop of the toothpaste. You're squeezing it, you're cutting it open, you're scooping it out with your finger and rubbing it on your teeth like it's fluoride cocaine. And when all the toothpaste is gone, you just brush your teeth with the tube itself. But what is great news is that they're using this technology in all kinds of products now, like ketchup bottles, which I personally am so happy to hear. Because I don't know about you guys, but I am tired of giving my ketchup an ass whooping just so I can dip my french fries. This hurts me way more than it hurts you. No, really, it hurts me way more. Ah! Okay, people, when we come back, we'll take a look at how Ted Cruz got that way, and Senator Elizabeth Warren is joining us on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Ted Cruz, you know him as a Texas senator and blobfish who forgot to charge his electric razor. But there's so much more to the man than that. So let's get to know Ted Cruz in another episode of The Daily Showography. 
March 4th, 2016. Let's cut waste, fraud, and abuse. It's easy to say it. Establishment Republican candidates were making their last stand against Donald Trump. And Senator Ted Cruz of Texas had a gross booger hanging on his lip. And then he ate it, as if none of us could see. This is Ted Cruz, the booger on the lip of democracy. Rafael Edward Cruz was born in Canada to an American woman and a former Cuban revolutionary. When Ted was four, the Cruzes relocated to Texas. Houston, we have a problem. Where his youthful ambition was the same as any higher order lizard, sex and domination. Well, my aspiration is to, uh, oh, I don't know, be in a teen tit film like that guy who played Horatio. You know, he was in Malibu Bikini Beach Shop. Well, other than that, uh, take over the world, world domination. Yes, young Ted Cruz was obsessed with boobs and power, two things he would struggle to get his hands on for the rest of his life. From there, it was on to Princeton University, where he befriended Craig Mazin, who, as the creator of the HBO series Chernobyl, is familiar with toxic disasters. Ted Cruz was my roommate. I, I did not like him at all in college. I want to be clear, because I, I, you know Ted Cruz is a nightmare of a human being. I have plenty of problems with his politics, but truthfully, his personality is so awful that 99% of why I hate him is just his personality. Awful, awful, awful person. Yeah, he's awful. Ted Cruz was so awful, this professional screenwriter could think of no other word to describe him. That's impressive. After graduating from Harvard Law School, Ted finally found someone who didn't hate him, which left him no choice but to marry her. We got back from our honeymoon, and he went off to the store and came home by himself. And he arrived back at our apartment with literally a hundred cans of Campbell's chunky soup. And I said, you don't buy a hundred of anything, much less canned soup. Well, you know, we're, we're, we can't do this. Uh, I'll be making things. And he said, no, I know you. You won't be making things. And then, because there was no room for both soup and a wife, Ted and Heidi lived apart for seven years. Cruz used that time to rise through the legal ranks, arguing eight cases before the Supreme Court where he championed the rights of mentally ill prisoners to be executed by the state. But his most famous case was a passionate defense of one unusual Texas law. Cruz's Texas Solicitor General once defended a ban on the sale of sex toys. That's right. In a show of selfless devotion to the law, Ted Cruz defended a ban on sex toys, even though he himself is a complete dildo. In 2012, Cruz burst onto the national stage as a Senate candidate and darling of the Tea Party. Once elected, he put his mark on the Senate by filibustering Obamacare while showing off his first grade reading ability. Do you like green eggs and ham? I do not like them, Sam I am. I do not like green eggs and ham. What a treat to hear Dr. Seuss read by a Dr. Seuss character. To achieve his dreams of world domination, Ted knew he would need to leave an impression. And he left impressions everywhere. There is no try. Do or do not. The force is strong with this one. Non-stop. Heidly ho, neighbor. Just a never-ending parade of barely recognizable voices. Liar! Shut up, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! Even though he couldn't really do any of them. In the immortal words of William Wallace, freedom! 
With charisma like that, there was only one thing for Cruz to do. I am announcing that I'm running for president of the United States. I was hyped, it was light in the backpack. Took a mic, no rights, had the right tracks. Soon, Ted was cruising toward victory. He had key endorsements. I've looked at the candidates. Ted Cruz is my man. A supportive family. Not a day goes by that my mom is not lifting me up in prayer. That's true. For hours at a time. And fresh ideas. Of course, in Texas, we cook bacon a little differently than most folks. gun bacon. <laughs> mm, any hunter can track and shoot an animal, but it takes a true outdoorsman to use a gun on meat he already bought at the store. That's just how unlikable Ted Cruz is. He actually found a way to turn people off of bacon. But despite having the meticulous planning skills and foresight that's just coincidentally the hallmark of a serial killer, Ted Cruz failed to anticipate Donald Trump. Ted Cruz, he's a a absolute disgusting liar. He is like a little baby. Soft, weak little baby. This guy's a liar. Lion Ted Cruz, Lion Ted. Lies, oh, he lies. Donald Trump called his wife ugly and said his father was implicated in the conspiracy to kill JFK. At first, Ted took the high road, swallowing his pride and a few boogers along the way. But finally, he had had enough. Cruz got on stage at the RNC and he did not endorse Donald Trump. Vote your conscience. That pledge was not a blanket commitment that if you go and slander and attack Heidi, that I'm gonna nonetheless come like a servile puppy dog and say thank you very much for maligning my wife and maligning my father. The gauntlet had been thrown. No longer would Ted Cruz cater to Donald Trump's every whim. He drew a line in the sand and, oh, hold on, I'm getting a call. Hi, this is Ted Cruz calling. Uh, I was calling to encourage you to come out and vote on election day. Oh, Ted. With nothing left to do, Cruz headed back to the Senate, where he reclaimed his position as the most hated guy in the office. If you kill Ted Cruz on the floor of the Senate, and the trial was in the Senate, Nobody could convict you. I probably like Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate Ted Cruz. He's just a toxic coworker. He's the guy that microwaves fish. There is nothing more dangerous than a reckless asshole who thinks he's smarter than everyone else. Ladies and gentlemen, Meet Ted Cruz. I'm beginning to understand why Ted Cruz has been hated by everyone, every place he's ever been, from kindergarten to the United States Senate. I am not endorsing Ted Cruz. I hate Ted Cruz. And uh, I think I'll take cyanide if he ever got the nomination. God damn. Even people who don't know if mass shootings are bad thinks Ted Cruz f- sucks. Chastened by this reception, Ted got to work rehabilitating his image. He began doing relatable stuff, like accidentally posting MILF porn on the anniversary of 9-11 and encouraging an insurrection against the government. Look here, look. Ted Cruz's objection to the Arizona... His objection, he was going to sell us out all along. Look, objection to counting electoral votes of the state of Arizona. Wait, no, that's... All right, all right, he's with us, he's with us. Oh, no. 
Ted Cruz is so hateable that for a moment, even his biggest fans hated him by accident. But once the dust settled and the MAGA mob reluctantly decided not to murder him, Ted and his family headed back home to Texas to let things cool down in Washington. Unfortunately, things cooled down even more in Texas. As Texans wait for a thaw and power to their homes, Senator Ted Cruz is facing backlash after an alleged fellow passenger tweeted out this photo, appearing to show Cruz on a flight to Cancun. He first uh, blamed the trip on his kids. That turned out to be a lie. The 24-hour trip to Cancun radically shifted America's view of Ted Cruz from a giant, unlikable asshole to... Actually, it didn't shift the view of him at all. But these are just small bumps on the road to his ultimate goal, world domination. To Ted Cruz, the earth is a mere booger dancing on his lips. Tantalizing, mesmerizing, repulsive. Waiting until the day he can swallow us whole and hope that no one saw it. All right, when we come back, I'll be joined by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My guest tonight is Senator Elizabeth Warren. She's here to talk about her new book where she opens up about her 2020 presidential run, what it was like fighting for change in Congress then and now, and of course, inspiring others to persist. Senator Elizabeth Warren, welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Thank you. It's good to be with you, sort of. Sort of, and, uh, and hopefully in person one day in the future. Um, Soon. The country's changing, the country is growing. Um, let's just jump straight into the questions because you are in a position of power in the country, uh, deciding a lot of where America is going to be going. I know you've got a new book and that applies to some of the conversation we're gonna have today, but let's start with the, with the immediate question many people have. When does America go back to normal? Oh. I think normal is going to change for us. You know, think of it this way, Trevor. Let me, let's set the table here. What has happened in the last year? Global pandemic, a racial reckoning, uh, an armed insurrection, a new president, and an historic rescue package that's been voted through. All of that, and that means change is everywhere. It's in the air. It's not about going back. It's about what normal is going to look like going forward. And it's more than just coping with a pandemic. It's that we have our toes on the line Mm -hmm. to make big structural change in this country. The book I wrote, Persist, the message is about the next hundred days. What we do in Congress what we do as a nation to change the role of government and to change how we invest in each other and build a future that works not just for the billionaires and trillionaires that, by the way, made it through this last year just great, but how we make this country work literally for everyone. Let's talk a little bit about the book then, Persist. We, we remember the origins with Mitch McConnell. You know, when we think about Persist, We think about Elizabeth Warren and many women who identified with that word because of a similar situation they had been in in life or in work. work. You talk about this journey that you've been on. Let's start with with, with your your run for president. I, I found it really interesting that you critiqued yourself. You said, 
I didn't get the people out, and I'm paraphrasing you, you said maybe I didn't connect with them and I didn't sell my vision in the correct way for what I wanted to achieve. Why did you feel it was important for you to go back and criticize yourself when, I mean, the election's done, you could have just moved on like many other politicians and said, ah, I lost because of these things and that's that. I wanted to give an honest account about what it's like as a woman, uh, a woman running for office. And I also talk in the book about what it's like as a mother, uh, as a teacher, as a fighter, as a planner, as a learner. And the reason I do that goes back to where we started this conversation. America is in this this amazing position right now. Most of the time, Trevor, the, the doors are locked. We can't make real change in Washington. But when you've got this much change, this much turmoil, this many things going on, the door opens up, not wide, but a little bit. Right. And so what this is about is is what I bring. I tell the personal stories, what I bring to the fight for the kinds of changes we should make, but also how personal it is for everyone else. How getting this right or wrong will touch us in such personal life or death. What your life is like, not just right now, but what it's like in a year, in 10 years, and all the way out to your retirement. And that you have power right now. And the power starts with persistence. It feels a little bit for for many people that they don't have the power. You know, many voters will say, we stepped up. We came out, we voted, we got the people into power that we wanted into power, and now it seems like nothing can move. You know, we're told the Senate doesn't have the 60 that need, and we're told that this is not being moved here, and Mitch McConnell still has power, and people are like, how's that possible? I thought that was the point of voting. So how do you respond to these voters who came out and put the Democrats that they wanted in power, but now are being told, oh, we we can't do things because there's this guy named Joe Manchin, for instance, and if he doesn't agree, well, then nothing will will, will happen. How how do you then have that conversation with people to keep them persisting when it can feel like their persistence doesn't amount to what it should? Well, I start by saying you're right, (laughs) that you are getting what you deserve. And this is why it is so important for Democrats to deliver And I don't just say that publicly. In fact, I think you're the first person who's asked me about it. I say this over and over and over to the rest of the Democrats. We made a lot of promises to get here. We made a lot of promises to get Joe Biden elected. We made a lot of promises in Georgia to say, hey, Georgia, give us two more senators. But part of that means We cannot now be in the majority. I know it's a little tiny, skinny majority, but it's a majority. And then turn around and say, oh, there's filibuster. So Mitch McConnell gets veto over any dang thing we want to do. That is not how a democracy works. And Democrats need to belly up to that reality. But on the basic, get the business of the people done, Our founders said, majority in the House, majority in the Senate, president signs it, that's now law. And that, in my view, is exactly what we've got to do. We got to deliver on the things that we promised the American people we would do and deliver on things, by the way, that are popular, 
popular with Democrats, popular with Republicans, popular with independents, like child care, canceling student loan debt, a wealth tax, a tax on giant corporations. There are a lot of things we could do that would be big and that would show people how much it matters that they came out and voted. When you look at some of the other issues America is facing, one of those issues has been the taxation of the ultra-rich, ultra right? What's interesting about America, for me personally, is the rich have done a very good job in this country of making everyone believe that they are either richer than they are or they are going to themselves become billionaires at some point. And so it is also in their favor to maintain taxation that is favorable to the rich. As Elizabeth Warren, how do you make it seem like you are not going against the idea of the American dream and taking away people's money when they've made a business that everybody uses, like Amazon or like Facebook? Or, like many Americans would be like, you just wanna take their money, but they worked hard for their money. Why should, why should you take away their money from them? So here's my pitch. You're a billionaire. You worked hard, you busted your tail, you made it big, good for you. Great, I'm glad to hear it, but here's the deal. If you built a business here in America, you didn't do that all by yourself. You did it using workers all of us helped pay to educate. You did it getting your goods to market on roads and bridges all of us helped to pay for. You did it protected uh, by firefighters all of us help pay the salaries for. And we're glad to do it because we invest as a nation, as a people in creating opportunities. So you got a chance to get out there and build this fabulous business. And now all we're saying is when you make it big, and I mean really big, for me, when you've got more than $50 million in accumulated assets, on your 50 millionth and first dollar and every dollar above that, pitch in two cents so everybody else gets a chance to make it. That's all this is about. You're still going to be so rich you could roll in it. You could, you could go down in your basement <laughs> and just, you know, you could rub your shoulders with it. You could do whatever you want to do with your money. But two cent wealth tax little higher if you're a billionaire, your fortune, even if you don't lift a finger, your fortune is going to keep on growing. It's just not going to grow quite as fast. But the consequence will be that two cents from the very top, this one will knock you over. That'll produce $3 trillion in revenues over the next 10 years. Enough money for universal childcare and early childhood education for every baby in this country. Enough money to revitalize all of our K-12 schools. Enough money to cancel that $50,000 of student loan debt, of putting real investments in our historically black colleges and universities and making all of our colleges tuition free and still have money left over. Just two cents, that's all we need. You know, uh, Senator Warren, I could always talk to you forever. Luckily, we have a book for that. I hope everybody goes out and reads it. Um, I think it's informative. I think it's vulnerable. And um, most importantly, I think it's really interesting. Thank you for taking the time to join me today. And uh, good luck with uh, Mitch McConnell and the rest of the crew in the Senate. Thank you. I really appreciate your having me here today.
Don't forget, Senator Warren's book, Persist, is available right now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So please consider supporting an organization called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, founded by Taraji P. Henson. They're a nonprofit committed to eradicating the stigma of mental health issues, specifically in the African-American community. By supporting the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation, you are helping to increase the number of African-American therapists, combat recidivism within the prison system, and provide mental health support in urban schools. So if you're able to help out in any way, please go to the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you've gained some weight during the pandemic, don't stress. It means you now officially have the body of a movie star. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.